Life Happens with Pimelo Modine. So yesterday, the Health Minister, Dr. Zwilim Kize, implored the nation to adhere to strict safety protocols, adding that the country's positive rate has hit 21%, which far exceeds the ideal positivity rate of 10%. I mean, we're sitting now at 10,000 COVID cases in 24 hours. And uh, the minister has warned that this is just exponential growth and it's just not okay. So Professor Beatrum Fielding, a director of research development at the University of the Western Cape, he's also a virologist, joins us now on the line. Prof, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pamela. Okay, so we're now at 10,000 and we haven't been here since August. What do you make of this, Prof? Pamela, this was not unexpected. Remember that lockdown level um, five, five. To, five to one, mm. five to two, mm. was never meant to eliminate the virus from the population. It was really meant to slow down the spread of this virus. So as soon as we were going to allow um, people getting together in large groups, we would have seen a spread in this virus. So what we're seeing at the moment is not surprising at all. Could, then what could we have done? What, what do you think we, would have, we should have done differently? You know, in my opinion, nothing. Um, I know it's controversial, but I've never been in favor of the lockdowns. I've always said, let's not be concerned about the increase in numbers of infections, but we should be very concerned about the mortality rates of the number of people dying. So in my opinion, it's always been about how do we protect those at highest risk of catching this virus but developing severe disease. And for me, that has always been the question that we should have answered. You also know, though, that um, one of the things that affects this mortality rate is being able to get the certain type of treatment like ventilation. And we're struggling with that element. So are you worried about the mortality rate? Um, Yes, I am worried about the mortality rate. Um, I think we know enough um, since the start of this pandemic um, that we know that deaths are largely due to uh, hyperinflammation, so excess inflammation, mm-hmm. and blood clots. Mm-hmm. So there are some very good studies that show if you use simple medication that is freely available to treat those two, you can decrease mortality rate by almost half. So I'm very much concerned about the numbers, um, the 100 per day that we're seeing um, deaths. That, that is very surprising to me. So, so- Prof Fielding, when would this need to be administered? In other words, would this be the kind of thing where immediately when you test positive, your own GP could give you those the, the, those the, the medications that you're talking about? Or at which, at which stage in your illness is this intervention going to work? So, so that's a very good question. And there's some very good studies now that show that not only do we know who is at higher risk of developing severe COVID, once people have developed symptoms just based on the type of symptoms that they get, mm. we can predict very accurately who can develop with a higher risk of developing that severe COVID and then they can be treated. So it's as soon as possible, uh, once we've identified those um, higher risk factors of, of developing severe COVID. Um, let me ask it in a different way. Is it the kind of thing where, um, and I ask this question because I also am very concerned about the testing, right? right. And, I, and I think we've had this conversation mm. where in as much as testing is readily available, 
more and more it's coming at a cost that people just cannot afford. And so access then is becoming a problem. So is it the fact that I've got a fever and a cough and I should straight go to my chemist and just say, look, give me one, two, three, or I suspect I've got COVID. Can I take something immediately? And then they should be able to administer that. Should the intervention be at that point, even before you get confirmation of what uh, what you have? So remember, I'm, I'm not a, a medical a medical doctor. So I'm, what I'm speaking about is what I've seen in studies that I've reviewed and studies published. So as soon as you have symptoms and you're in one of those high-risk groups, so above uh, 55 with comorbidities or other diseases, or you're a healthcare worker, um, as soon as you have symptoms, go see your primary healthcare provider so that they can determine whether your risk is high of developing severe COVID and prescribe these drugs as early as possible. And it can be as simple as the steroids and the blood thinners. So something like a disprint. Yes, that's what I mean, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the earlier the better. What we've seen at the moment is almost the fear. So people wait too long that's before it. they go uh, for medical interventions. Mm-hmm. And I think that is part of the problem. Hmm. I mean... Yeah. I would say to people, keep to spring in your cupboard. Either way, <laughs> either way, and I know you're not saying that, but I mean, we're almost at that point, aren't we? Where we need to find these very quick, um, effective ways of, of just cutting the number of deaths that we're seeing. And that, for me, is the concern. We need to find innovative ways of making sure that this treatment gets to people before they get to line up in the hospitals. You see, and, and, and that's the problem. because, And it's very difficult for a non-medical person to say, keep those in your cupboard, mm. because you can have drug interactions. Mm. And that's why this is the type of conversation people need to have with their primary health care provider. But we know these things. And they, they are effective, not in 100% of cases. Mm. But I've seen studies where mortality rates have been cut by more than half. Um, so, so it is very significant. Let's talk about the vaccine, Prof. Um, this vaccine that seems to be uh, on our on our way on on its way to South Africa. Only ten percent of South Africans will get access to this vaccine. Are you concerned about this vaccine? What are your thoughts on the vaccine? So, you know, the vaccine has been developed extremely fast. So, mm. a process that would have taken um, eight to ten years have now been done <laughs> within a year, from start to finish. Mm. So of, of course, I have some concerns. However, some of these vaccines have been based on, on um, technology that have been used before. Mm. So, so they should be, they were trial and tested before for other diseases. Mm-hmm. So they should be fine. I'm still maintaining that not everybody should be taking this vaccine. I still think that it is high-risk individuals uh, for developing severe COVID that should um get preferential um, access to the vaccine. Medical personnel, because they are at high risk, we're still seeing high numbers of our medical personnel, and we should really not see that. And then those taking care of, of the aged, you know, those taking care of um, individuals at higher risk of developing severe COVID. Mm. I think if we look at those three, I think then we would be fairly well placed. Here's what's concerning me, Prof, and let's have a conversation that's going to help me understand this better. The fact that now we are seeing um, a lot of people who had COVID before become reinfected, and that's my concern. So there is obviously something we don't understand about this virus because we had the impression, or at least I had, that you will be a little slightly more immune if you've had the virus before. For the sec- So you're not likely to be 
as sick as before or maybe not even get it again. I don't know. So, So let's talk about that because we're seeing the number of those people increase. No, so the good news is that the number of confirmed reinfections yes. can be counted on less than one hand. No. So there, are, there are about three or four confirmed reinfections globally. And these are people where the viral sample was taken during the first um, um, sickness mm-hmm. and then during the second sickness. And those two viruses were shown to be genetically different. And that's why they could be reinfected again. I think what we're seeing at the moment, because we've seen it um, in the press mm-hmm. quite often, mm-hmm. what we're seeing in South Africa at the moment, I think, is this virus mm-hmm. being at levels too low to be tested. Mm. So a PCR would not pick it up. Then um, three, four weeks later, when the person um, is stressed or immune system goes down, then the virus re- almost reactivates. Um, so it could either be that or what we're seeing is what we're calling long COVID. Mm-hmm. So I think it's one of those two and it is not real reinfection. Okay. So the distinction you, you're making here is that these are, as you're saying now, these could be long COVID. Do we have to read then assess the, uh, the isolation period? And it, not necessarily, if it's long COVID, yes. the person does not necessarily have the virus. It is, remember, in, in moderate to severe cases, we have some organ damage. Mm-hmm. And I think um, to up five to 12 weeks later, the organs are still recovering, and that's what long COVID is. Mm-hmm. The other one that I was referring to where the virus is at lower levels mm. and could be almost mm. reactivated, mm-hmm. there we need to reassess. But remember... If the virus is at levels too low to be detected, mm-hmm. how do we detect it? So isolation periods, not necessarily. The vast majority of people are cleared between 8 and 12 days, so they're virus-free. But it is a concern and it is a risk, unfortunately. Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll take your calls on 011-714-2006. Professor Fielding is with us to give us all the, you know, to answer all the questions around COVID-19. If you have any, please call now or you can send a voice note on 0614-104-107. Professor Beatrum Fielding is a virologist and he joins us now on the line to talk about COVID-19 and all the questions that you have around COVID-19. Thanks, uh, Prof, for staying with us. I just want us to clarify something. If you are contesting um, the issue of reinfection, how do you then classify reinfection? So reinfection would really be the person is confirmed uh, clear of the virus before the second infection. That can really only be done when the virus is grown in the laboratory, but that is too expensive and very labor intensive, so that is not done. For a a real reinfection to be classified as such, we need to compare the viruses genetically from the first disease and the second disease. If they're the same, then it's the same virus. It's just gone sublethal and then reactivated. If they're different, Mm -hmm. then it means that it was a genuine reinfection. And I know of only four studies where that has been confirmed. Okay, so then maybe what we're saying is confirmed reinfections by way of confirming that the virus was identical. But we don't have that and it's quite expensive to conduct those tests, so we don't really know. 
Yeah. So we don't know because we do PCR mm-hmm. and the, the virus could be at levels not detectable. Yes, that's exactly and, the problem, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so, so if it's at levels where it's not detectable, but you have COVID-like symptoms, what then do we call that? So that's very unlikely. Okay. So it, it could be, but long COVID is you probably cleared of the virus. So there probably is no virus, but because, and this is what we're speculating, because Mm -hmm. of organ damage due to the hyperinflammation and blood clots, symptoms can still uh, persist. And I've seen a report from Britain this morning where they're saying 12 weeks later, 10% of people were still complaining of symptoms. No virus, but still symptoms. Mm -hmm. So that, that is really what long COVID is. Experiencing symptoms long after the virus should have cleared. Then, is then your concern that if, if we have not confirmed that the DNA of the virus is identical, in other words, we cannot classify it as a reinfection, are you then concerned that we have another type of virus with similar symptoms? I'm not concerned about that. Yes. Uh, it, it, it appears as though it is still the same virus. Yes. Remember, the, the biggest problem with this is influenza virus could have the same symptoms. Sure. and. That's why we can't just look at symptoms to say that it is COVID or not. Mm-hmm. So there are many other viruses, unfortunately, which could have the same symptoms. Um, so we can only base our, our assumptions on, on the data that we have at the moment. But, but are you then saying that, okay, if, if I have gone tested positive, I then go back test negative, but you're mm-hmm. still saying that may fall in the category where the virus is still too low, but it's still there. Go back again a couple of months later, test positive, but we haven't tested the DNA of the virus. What do you call that? If you don't call so, it reinfection. So, so in my opinion, that would still be the same infection. The virus Got has you. just gone to low levels. Got you. All right. Okay, I was going to take Errol, who I think was holding on for too long, and I think we've lost Errol there. But, I mean, I, I think I get exactly what you're saying. Then then what makes it go down and resurge again? We don't understand this virus well enough. Okay. So it is probably the interplay between the immune system and the virus. Mm-hmm. Remember, right at our first conversation, we spoke about viruses and them not really out to kill the host. Viruses want to remain in the host as long as possible Mm -hmm. because ultimately they want to make more virus. Mm. So how did the virus have to find this place where it keeps the host happy while it can make more of itself? Okay. Then what do we do to keep it even if one has it? Because we now know that it's not out to kill us. What do we do to keep it low? (laughs) <laughs> that's the problem. Um, if, if you're talking about keeping the viral load low in your body, and giving your body low. time to remove it, Sh- sure. keep, the, keep the immune system as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. So vitamin D, for instance, uh, zinc, you know, those have been shown to help the immune system fight. Mm. Um, we have some very good natural products, African natural products that can keep the immune system. Keep the immune system as happy and as healthy as possible. Fantastic. Mike, you're calling from Durban High. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, uh, Mike. Yes, I'd like to put something to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Doctor, I live on Durban Beachfront. Uh, a wrecked and polluted beachfront. Mm-hmm. I'm a pollution, happen to be a pollution activist. Right. Have you ever walked along the promenade? What's the question, Mike? Right. 
The question is, on the indicated boards on the on the lifeguard buildings along Durban Beachfront, mm-hmm. they 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 give the level of E. coli in the water measured, and they give the level of Intaka rockercus. Now I've got a 140-page manual on superbugs. E. coli is not in there, but Intaka rockercus is there. I had an accident. I landed in Edmonton Hospital in early April this year. And I happened to have the, the book in my bag, and I alerted Addington Hospital. People have been dying in there of a mystery virus, but they didn't know what it was. It's in Dr. Rockicus. This is what's killing them. Does the doctor know what this is? Doc, do you know what that is? I don't. I don't know the, the organism that the um, that Mike is speaking about. Mm. E. coli is a very important organism because it's an indicator organism. So if you find E. coli, you're very likely to find other more pathogenic, more deadly organisms in the water. Um, so it would be interesting to see what Mike is speaking about. Mm. Sorry, Mike, we don't have that answer for you. Sorry about that. You've got E. coli and Enterococcus in your body, but this apparently. Uh, something grows in it and it gets into coastal hospitals and they don't, they don't know what kills people with the mystery bug. This is what the mystery bug is, in Tokarokakis. Hmm. So they, people could be dying there that have got, uh, COVID just meanwhile in Tokarokakis children. <laughs> So, 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 speaking about enterococcus. Yes. And, and, and that's what we don't understand. Yes. Um, um, SARS-2 that causes COVID. Mm-hmm. What happens to the body if you have other infections at the same time? Mm-hmm. Especially bacterial. We mm-hmm. don't know. But there are studies that are being done at the moment. It would be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Let's take a quick voice note before we leave, uh, Prof. Hi, Pimelo. Mm-hmm. I would like to remain anonymous. I just want to find out something. On the 28th of November, I went uh, for my test since I'm working in and out of South Africa for my COVID certificate. Um, Then I I tested positive. And uh, I isolated without any symptoms, nothing. Then again this past tuesday i went again for retest but again the test came back positive again so i just want to find out from prof what causes that because as we speak like i said now i didn't have any symptoms not even now okay prof very interesting um, case and it, i would love to see those results it could be a false positive so the test gives you a positive and it's not positive but it's probably more likely that the caller is positive but is asymptomatic mm-hmm. remember there are studies now that says depending on the area that you look at globally mm-hmm. between 15 and 44 percent of people test positive but they have absolutely no symptoms mm-hmm. We're not even looking at that. What are happening in those people's bodies? They are still in, they can still infect others, yes. but they don't have symptoms. Sure. So that would be a very interesting case to look at. As usual, always lovely talking to you, Prof. Uh, let's do it again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Pamela. Professor uh, Beatram Fielding is a Director of Research Development at the University of the Western Cape. He's also a virologist talking all things COVID-19. That brings us to 2 o'clock. Let's go to Utsile Saku for the latest in SABC News. Good afternoon, Utsile.